0: Iowa Everywhere. Jordan Bohannon, Jared Stansberry. It's Jared and Jaybo bo and Jay on bo. Iowa Everywhere. This is Iowa Everywhere. Yo, welcome into the podcast. It's February 1st here on iowa everywhere what's up jordan what's going on man doing great sun's out felt like it's been overcast in
1: iowa for the past months dude ready for ready for spring
0: sun's out need, need to break the guns out where's your uh where's your cutoff
1: i got a little squirt guns i can't really bring
0: those out <laughs> <laughs> that's fair no yeah nobody wants to see that Nobody yeah. wants to be exposed to that. Uh, all right, got a lot to get to on today's uh, today's podcast. A couple of different college basketball topics. Of course, Iowa State and Iowa uh, both had a busy week. Uh, two very different types of weeks for both of those teams, so we'll get to those in just a minute. But first, uh, I want to tell you about what our friends with uh, here at Iowa Everywhere are doing with the folks out at Circus Sports Iowa, and we want to throw one lucky person the ultimate big game house party, and we're going to do it in style. Register on, uh, on iowaeverywhere.com to win a big game, watch party prize package including circus sports iowa swag for you and your gifts your guests a 300 dollars fairway meat and grocery gift card and a trip for two to circus circus resort and casino in las vegas with 500 dollars in spending money uh jordan what would you do with 500 dollars in spending money at at circa in las vegas put it all on black sounds like a really poor investment like that's just a really bad money decision
1: i mean what else are you gonna do you're, you're in vegas
0: might as well you could save some of it and space it out throughout the trip and not put it all on black or you could just all put it on black and you have a thousand dollars well that's assuming that you win when you win you can have that mentality you just like this is the same guy who came on here and told me how vegas is rigged oh it's rigged, and now you're gonna come in here and say put your 500 dollars on black
1: i think i think you can change i think you can beat vegas with a better mentality
0: So basically since the last time you went to Vegas, your entire opinion of Vegas has flipped. Yep. I'm ready to go back. I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what to say to you. Uh, As part of this, as part of this, as part of this with our friends at circus sports, you and I will be out watching uh, the big game a week from Sunday at Wellman's in West Des Moines. Hope people will come out and, and hang out with us. We'll have all kinds of details as far as time and things like that. I'm sure there'll be specials. We'll get all that stuff out for you guys here over the the next week or so but we're really excited for that looking forward to that out at Wellman's in west des moines a week from uh for the big game a week from sunday we can't say we can't say the official name that's uh that's against the law so we have to say the Bye. big game it's tra- trade it is well i mean yeah they like own all that stuff so like when you're promoting things you can't say
1: oh you know, that's that's so stupid the fantastic football game you can't you
0: can't use the the true words is that the same thing for like the ncaa tournament yes that's why everybody calls it uh you know like i think they own march madness too they'll call it the tournament or whatever you know that's some bullshit <laughs> yeah it's we just some- uh, it's just how it goes you know the nfl has got to protect the shield as they as they often say don't they have enough money like why are they worried about that no, I think that the NFL has made it blatantly clear that they do not feel as though they have enough money. Hmm. I think that the NFL's pattern of behavior has made that very clear.
1: I have no words. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so should be, should, a I, game, should so be a great game, though. Should be a great game. I can't say, can I say SB? SB? I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, if we're just going to talk about it, like, yeah, we can. But when we're talking about the promotion of the event we're doing at Wellman's Western One, we cannot say it. Or talking about the event, the thing we're doing with Circa Sports, which you can sign up for at iowaeverywhere.com to, to win that prize package uh, and get a trip for two out to Circa Resort in Casino in Las Vegas. Uh, don't I, I Don't put 500 on black, though. That's just like, that's stupid. That's just bad, bad that's decision making. That's just something that that's what you do when you're – I don't know. Like it, you could just, you could have so much fun with that five hundred dollars. Instead, you could right. just lose it right in away. One
1: in one little roll of the ball. Watch it go round and round and round, and it's sitting nicely in that color black. And then boom, a thousand dollars.
0: And then boom, a thousand dollars. Just like that, you've got a thousand dollars at your disposal. At, really <laughs> cur- we should be courtesy of our friends at Circa Resort. Circa yeah, we
1: should Sports. really be advertising a free thousand dollars
0: if we're doing that <laughs> I, I suppose that. that is one way to look at it. That is one way to look at it. Uh, all right. Iowa uh, won back to back games this week. Got a big win last night against Northwestern, uh, in the Chris Street game, the rescheduled game from uh, that was rescheduled due to COVID in the Northwestern program. Got a win over Rutgers over the weekend as well. Uh, Got to go – or they're going to host Illinois on Saturday at Carver Hawkeye Arena. What would you think of the game last night against, uh, against the Wildcats?
1: Played really well. Um, I didn't think Chris had the best game, but Payton st- stepped up greatly. I mean, I think I said it a couple weeks ago when he's <laughs> – Playing like he is, it's a totally different team. He's the ultimate actor guy. Even though I hate that term, I think he's brings a, a totally different dimension when he's able to shoot freely and have his mind freed up of any lack of confidence or whatever it was at the beginning of the Big Ten play. Because, I mean, you see that when you see what I would say too when Grill's able to shoot like how he is, or Calistruz stepping up big same thing with Iowa. When you have a shooter step up like that, it opens the floor so much. Other guys are able to get more involved. Phillip got had 20 and 10 against Northwestern as well. Um, Yeah. And to be honest with you, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked for, I give a lot of credit to to Fran for handling the lineup. Like he has, it's been really tough with his son, Patrick coming in and out. Um, he, He got brought back a couple games ago and, how he's been able to shuffle the lineup and still stay true to a lineup to help win the game. Cause these last two games they won were huge in their conference standings. Northwestern was outright second. Um, And there's like six or I think there's five to seven teams that are all in the middle of the pack from, from two to 12, basically in the big 10, all within like a game and game and a half. So we're going to see a lot of switching up and down for a lot of these teams. And, Iowa drops those two games. They go. They could literally have went from I think they're like fifth or sixth in the league down all the way to no 12th. That's how crazy the Big Ten is this year. Um, but another big one against Illinois. I'm looking forward to watching that one.
0: There are nine teams in the Big Ten with four or five losses. Crazy. Wisconsin has six. Ohio State has seven. Nebraska has nine, and Minnesota has nine. How's Minnesota only played ten games and everybody else has played twelve? it doesn't make sense back to back here still doesn't seem to make any sense but uh yeah i mean that that's a that's just like a miss i don't know it's just a pile up of a bunch of teams you know and it's like all those teams are pretty similar caliber where you know that like any of them could beat anybody you know it's like every game it doesn't matter if it's uh if it's illinois and maryland or if it's michigan state and penn state or Michigan and Iowa, like you know every single one of those games is going to be good, and you have no idea which way it's going to go Anytime those teams play each other.
1: Yeah, it's hard to predict. It's one of those – this reminds me of the uh, – I think it's 2020 when the season got um, canceled in the year. There's a ton of Big Ten teams. Like I think there's the three winners in the Big Ten regular season um, that won it and it feels like one of those years i mean obviously purdue is stacked at the top they're probably gonna run away with outright champs for the big 10 conference title but there's gonna be a lot of teams fighting for nca positions so every single game is going to matter for all the middle of the pack teams realistically i think the big 10 will get probably five to six teams and i don't think we'll see past six just because i i do think the big Ten's a little down this year um but it's the same thing every year, I feel like. They're just beating the shit out of each other every game. We see the middle of the pack where it's like 500 um, for their standings, and one game can mean a huge difference for your whole season. I think these last two games, I really stepped up hugely to kind of start separation from being in the top middle of the pack instead of the bottom middle of the pack.
0: What do you see from, from Illinois? That's a weird team. They've uh, really been kind of back and forth, but they've been playing really well right now. Uh, won seven of their last eight.
1: Very bizarre team. You know, I have a guy that one of their best players leave midway through the season. So they're balancing that. And they kind of really answered the call when that happened. So you got to get a lot of credit to their staff at Illinois getting those guys together, staying them, keeping them together. And that's really hard to do in college basketball because you have a lot of young guys that are coming in high school that are Star players in their own rights some of them might have egos and getting them to all play together is really tough and the transfer portal as well um you know Illinois getting some guys out of the transfer portal and bringing those guys together and being on the same page especially now right now is the most important part of the season and winning the last seven of the eight is huge and I think that's Something that I would imagine would carry over into postseason play. Um, and I'm talking postseason play. I'm not even counting that as Big Ten title um, tournament. I'm technically counting that as like the last five games. I think postseason play is the last five games of the conference play all the way towards the NCAA tournament. I think that's, that considers the start of postseason play because those five games are huge telling of where their season is going to end up towards the end of the year. And Illinois is a really bizarre team i don't even know how to explain them dude like
0: they have some there's some guys on that team that can really get buckets when they're feeling it you know like matt meyer that guy that guy could go for 25 on any given night but you also just don't know which version of him is going to show up
1: right yeah and he's a guy that i didn't expect to be as much of a impact guy as he has been i think he's really stepped up but I think Iowa and Illinois are similar teams, to be honest. You don't know what team you're going to get. And that's bizarre for both of those teams that happen based off how they've been playing the last three years. So this could be, honestly, this could be a game like in the low 60s or this game could be in the uh, high 80s. I I don't know what to expect defensive-wise from Illinois or defensively from Iowa. It's just If if I were betting on the game,
0: I'd advise not to. That's all I'm saying. Uh, Ken Palm has Iowa seventy-eight or seventy-nine to seventy-seven.
1: Again, I don't know. I, I like this. This game could be a blow, dude. Like either way, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah I mean, if someone gets hot shooting.
0: Did you see yeah. Brad Underwood last night? They were playing in Nebraska, and he uh, came out of the the halftime locker room with seven minutes left on the clock and was sitting on the bench by himself.
1: Yeah, I think the announcer said, "I in all of my career of watching basketball, I've never seen that ever. I'm like... But Illinois fans will always find a way to say that, uh, like, anything that goes wrong... Illinois fans... Dude, I... Let it out, let it out. I'm going to let it out for a second. Illinois fans are always find something that is like seemingly wrong and they'll think it's okay. Like, I don't even know how to explain their mentality or how they process information. Brad on a word could literally kill someone and they would say it was okay. I feel like.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I don't know. You have more exposure, more experience with Illinois fans than what I do. I thought it was a little bit goofy cause he was sitting out. He's just like out there by himself. And I, that seemed, uh, less impactful than it's like if you want to like leave the team in the you know because i can imagine how this went it's like you're in the locker room and he's like you guys are going to sit in here and you're going to think about what you've done and you can come out when you're ready to play you know and then he stormed out and then was like shit now what do i do you know and it's like probably just go to your office like just go like chill for a little bit but instead he like went out and sat on the bench and he had the board on his lap and he's like looking at it. And it's like, you know, there ain't shit written on that board. Yeah. Like there's nothing, he's not drawing anything up. He's just like sitting there, you know? And at that point you're like, I mean, like, what's the point, I guess. It worked out apparently cause they won the game, but it just was, it's just an odd thing. I don't know. It's just a weird coaching tactic.
1: And Illinois fans, I bet they see that. And they're like, oh, he's doing that for a reason. Like, he's exactly what you just explained. Like, he was in the locker room. Was like, come out when you're ready. Illinois fans just think they know every single, like, interesting thing about their team. I, it just really bothers me. I've never, I've never encountered a fan base like it before. And they're awful on social media, too.
0: I don't know. If, I think I know one person <laughs> who's a real, like, Illinois fan. And even then, like, I don't know if he's, like, how intensely of an Illinois fan right, is.
1: Yeah, I feel like that's all their fans. Like, where were they four years ago when they were bottom of the league?
0: We should, I we mean, need to go to, uh, we need to go to Illinois and have pictures of D. Brown, Deron Williams, Bruce Weber, and say, do you know who this is? You know, what, what do want you money. think, how do you feel about the way D. Brown's played this year for the Illini? They wouldn't have an answer. They wouldn't they know. Wouldn't. No. I no, man, that, that team though, those guys were different. Uh, I, that was the the team that exposed me to Illinois basketball back in the day. Uh, but yeah, I, I just I, I don't know. It's just a weird weird dynamic. Brad Underwood's a weird coach too. I I just have always gotten weird vibes from him.
1: I think yeah. I mean, I, I have very limited interactions with Brad Underwood. Every every time I've talked to him, he's been a very respectful, great guy. I just think there's. And this kind of goes along with the double standard. I always talk about Coach McCaffrey, like him getting so much heat for being a guy that blows up during games. I mean, Coach Underwood is worse, like 10 times worse than Coach McCaffrey is, I feel like. But I don't know. I feel like his coaching strategies are a little bizarre. In my what would opinion.
0: have been your reaction if Coach McCaffrey storms out and then after the game you get on Twitter and you see a picture of him sitting out on the bench just by himself with the board? He would get crucified
1: by social media crucified yes. Like yes seth davis would be all over him this is such a bad luck in all caps he, he's going all caps this time
0: that's very much like an old school coach move i feel like you know like yeah. not actually it's just a very uh i'm gonna do this and i don't know if it's gonna actually do anything but we're gonna make it happen you know right.
1: yeah grasping for straws just the whole program is kind of an interesting program they're definitely uh it's funny like looking back you have i mean i'm sure if you talk to any other big 10 player they would say the same thing you have like your own like you're not like best friends with teams but you have like your teams in the big 10 that you're kind of closer to um it's kind of hard to explain but like Like, obviously, us and Rutgers, like, we're kind of, like, close programs. Like, I feel like for – whether that's because of me and GL fight for NIL, but, like, I feel like we don't really rival against each other that much. Mm -hmm. Obviously, when we play, we want to compete hard, and there's going to be some shit talk like that. But then you have your team that you just fucking hate. Like, Iowa hates Wisconsin. Iowa hates Illinois. And, like, those types of games. Iowa doesn't like Michigan State, and you go back and forth. You know, Iowa's okay with Michigan. Like, there's really no – a lot of banter there. I don't know. It's weird, like, looking back, like, how those driving forces kind of impact, I don't know, social media, too, I feel like.
0: I mean, how much of that do you think is hinged by the intensity level of the games? You know, like, I obviously, you guys played much more intense games with Illinois than you probably did with Rutgers at any point in your career.
1: Yeah, like, that's a good point, too, yeah. There's, yeah, I mean, but I feel like Rutgers, we had some great bat, like, it was at their place last year when they got called for that foul, or we got called for the foul, and they won on, like, literally courting green, gifting the game. I mean, that was pretty heated, but, I mean, we're still – like, we respect those guys. Not that we don't respect other people. I feel like there's, like, a different level of respect that we have for different teams.
0: Illinois had some guys on their team who – uh like yeah. to stir the pot i think yeah. would be a good way to put it yeah yeah But i mean iowa has it too it, yeah oh yeah I,
1: I, and when I you get multiple
0: it, of those guys together like it just you know fireworks can ensue it's just it's how it goes
1: yeah and i, I think that kind of get, get got a bad rap from some guys on social media too because i think it was that 2020 year again when connor and i think it was, um, it was when, iowa wasn't it yeah no, I think it was Williams. Okay. Like, got, yeah. got in his face. And I think there's a picture of it. Connor might have posted it, but.
0: Weren't they like nose to nose?
1: Yeah, they're nose to nose. And I know off the court, like they were talking to each other. Like they're cool. And I'm sure they're cool still now. But fans see that and they just go berserk. Like these guys, I would be like, oh, this guy's an asshole. Like, why would you get in another player's face like that? Then Illinois fans would say the same thing on their side. And that just creates like this huge dynamic where there's di- these diverse opinions and I think there's like this huge rivalry now and then a year later, like we get in a fight, we don't shake hands. It's just all this stuff that kind of builds up. I feel like the fans do have like a huge play into I feel like how players play too on the court, on social media, how they, how they react to stuff.
0: Well, and obviously there is an element of like, you know, you might be friends with somebody that does like you might want to beat them even more because you're friends with them. Right. You know, and it's like, you might not like somebody and it's like, yeah, we want to beat these guys because we don't like them, but it's just like, you don't have like a personal problem with them. You know, how often do you see that in the NBA where guys, like guys are clearly just friends with each other, you know, and it's just because of the basketball <laughs> world is not that big. You meet people in camps, you meet people at, you know, doing playing in AAU tournaments or whatever. And it's like, you build relationships with people and then all of a sudden you got to play with against them. And like, if you know the kind of player they are and they know the kind of player you are, those kinds of things can get heated, you know? And it's like, it's not, it's very rarely I feel personal the way that people probably think of it being. Yeah,
1: and exactly. I think people see that from the outside and the normal fan doesn't understand, oh, like they worked out together all summer. They're really close and they're just hard-nosed competitors that just want to win. And they're just like that on the floor. But after the floor, it's like a totally different relationship. I think Russell Westbrook even said that after an interview a couple of years ago. He's like, I'm friends with all these guys in the league, but the minute we step foot on the floor, I'm not friends with anybody. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to kill you, and, and I want to be reacted by the same way. Like, we're just trying to win.
0: One of the weirdest, this is kind of off topic, but I saw something uh, last week, or it was, I think, over the weekend, uh, that, the, that LeBron and Kevin Durant have not played each other since Christmas Day 2018. Holy shit. Yeah, and that's like, that was... It's like the NBA cold war now between KD and LeBron. And I think that those guys are, I mean, I think those guys are friends, you know, and obviously there's a lot of mutual respect there between the two of them. But I was like, I don't know if that's a, a we're friends move. So we're just like kind of avoiding each other or if it's a, we hate each other so much that we're just avoiding each other type of situation at this point. But they've both obviously been injured and different things. So it's like, there's some bad luck to it, but that was just weird. Like think if LeBron retires and never plays against Kevin Durant again.
1: I didn't know it's been that long. That's actually crazy to think about, especially the amount of games that they've played in the last five years. I guess uh, Durant was hurt a little bit. LeBron's been in and out too, but...
0: Christmas Day 2018 would have been... What would that have been? That would have been like LeBron's first year in Los Angeles, right? Like, I don't even know.
1: 2018, yeah.
0: That would have been when the Raptors won the title, so it would have been, yeah like right at the end of of kind of that whole thing but that was just that really jumped out to me I was like damn like that's what are the odds of that even though they only play each other twice and KD obviously was out for a long time with the Achilles LeBron's been out for a bunch of different things but just was I was like that's that's a weird basketball tidbit for people I guess I, I love that kind of stuff that little
1: strange facts just about anything in life. Like, I,
0: at, at this point, I almost wonder if it's calculated that the two of them are like, yo, we're not going to play each other anymore. You know, it's written in the script. That's the yeah. NBA script. Well, yeah, the, we know the NFL is rigged now. So it's like, yeah. the, we got to assume that the NBA is, is rigged as well.
1: I'm ready for a rigged uh, SB game. I don't know about you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, I'm sure it'll be rigged too. Uh, even though all the things that allegedly the chiefs had that were rigged in their favor, did not really even impact the game in any way. Yeah. But people forget that. People forget that cuz we just want to blame the officials. It's the officials fault.
1: Yeah, hey, I'm I'm cool with it. You guys want to blame officials. I am I am the number one supporter. Hey,
0: I'm I'm all in on we want to blame the officials. You know anybody looks at what happened to LeBron in uh, in Boston on no. Saturday night and everything that. What did you just say? Get what? get you just said that wasn't a foul.
1: Refs didn't call it wasn't a foul.
0: <laughs> I saw something that the guy who was the crew chief for that, uh for that officiating crew, the the Celtics are thirty six and two in games he's officiated since twenty eighteen. See, that's
1: the type of shit I want to. I I need to start researching before I bet. Like obviously I can't bet on NBA games, but. If, that, if that's the case during like NFL or college basketball I need to know that and
0: How is that around. not a massive red fu- like a massive red flag you know or anything like it's just like what what's Chris Paul I don't think's ever won a game when Scott Foster was officiating.
1: All right Foster should he should be in jail. <laughs> maximum security prison.
0: Him and the Unabomber in maximum yeah. security prison should, together. They should be neighbors right yeah. next to each other. Uh but no that, that I, that's just it is weird. Like, that's just a weird thing. Cause those guys are humans too. You know? And it's like, if all of a sudden you're in a position to help your team and like, or whatever, you know, like I'm sure you try and be non-biased, but it's like, how do you control that at the same time? You know, yeah. I mean, I don't, I- in the NFL to rig anything in the NFL, it would have to be so blatantly clear. And they would have to call so many different things at so many crucial points of the game for it to matter. That it would like that is just really hard for me to believe.
1: But I love the videos. Like there's some that go viral sometimes of like professional games or uh, even in college basketball. Like people say it's a glitch in the matrix. Like how the how did this ball get to this guy's hands? Like that type of stuff. I think it's the funniest stuff ever because people like actually believe that kind of time that, that type of stuff. Like oh, this game was
0: actually rigged and someone's controlling the game. I so saw it. I saw a a video last week where Draymond was driving the lane and kicking the ball out or he like turned like he was going to kick it out and then Clay caught his shoe and then he dropped it back behind and it looked like Draymond threw the shoe out to him instead of dropping it out and I was like what are the like? What are the odds that you would ever catch that at that angle to make it look like he got his shoe thrown to him and was going to shoot it? You know, yeah,
1: that was a perfect example. I yeah. I died, dude, because those comments like on Twitter and Instagram when they see that they're like, "Oh my gosh, this is so rigged!" I bet five hundred dollars on the Warriors. I bet five hundred dollars on Celtics, and they pulled off like that.
0: That stuff is. I actually die laughing reading those comments. I just I I don't know the people that are like, "Oh, I'm going to put eight grand." on the lakers tonight or something you know like it just is like going to the boston garden and then you lose on a bad call and everybody's like what the fuck i put all this money on the lakers it's like well you're the one who bet on like a sub 500 team going to boston on a saturday night i don't know what more do you want like whose fault is that you know
1: like i said i i'm glad we went we went round circle here right back to the officials i am the number one supporter who was Going after the officials, you know, the scene in Braveheart when <clears throat> they line up together, right? Yes, back in the old wars, like the uh, yeah, when they, the, yeah,
0: yeah, in the, the battle right lines, here.
1: And yeah. the yeah. um, what's the main act? Um, uh, and, uh, Mel Gibson, yeah, Mel Gibson is leading the troops, and then like they have to retreat, and he brings back the flag. That That's me when people when something shitty happens in sports and everyone crucifies the officials and the officials grant gain all this ground. And then we just all fight back with the officials. That's me carrying the flag, pushing towards the officials. That's my dream
0: scenario. Uh, do you have any final thoughts on Iowa before we flip, uh, flip things over? That was, that was another crazy transition. Uh, all our basketball conversation on the podcast is brought to you by our friends at sweet Caroline's kitchen and cocktails on main street and Ames. It's a perfect place to go before or after Iowa State home games anytime the Cyclones are on the road or anytime the Hawkeyes are in action. It's a great spot for late-night fun with a Southern-inspired menu with a great collection of burgers, sandwiches, wings, and, of course, Caroline's famous fried chicken. The atmosphere is incredible with plenty of TVs to watch any game on your radar, and there's a party room available for rent for your next big gathering. That's Sweet Caroline's Kitchen and Cocktails at 316 Main Street in Ames, the presenting sponsor of all of our basketball conversation here on the podcast. All right, flipping things over to the Iowa State side, the Cyclones, uh, back-to-back losses here coming into, uh, heading into this next weekend. Lost to Missouri last Saturday in the Big 12 SEC Challenge, uh, and then lost to Texas Tech in inexplicable fashion. Uh, Well, there is an explanation, but it was uh, inexcusable fashion, I think would be a better way to put it uh on monday night against texas tech in lubbock blowing a 23 point lead in the final 10 minutes uh i think my thing like with i've i've been trying to wrap my hand my head around that that monday that game from monday night for two days because it just is it was one of those games where you're sitting there watching they're up by 23 texas tech's kind of starting to make a run but in the back of your mind you're like they're not going to lose this game You know, like there's no way they're going to lose this game. And then all of a sudden there's a minute left. The game's nearly tied and you're like, oh shit, I think they're actually going to lose, you know? And it was just, it was so incomprehensible in the moment that they had blown that lead that it was just like, it was shocking. I I was just, I was sitting there just like, I I don't even know what to say at this point after that.
1: My favorite thing before I get to him death of the game, my favorite thing is looking on social media and scrolling through the tweets in the first half and everyone's just going off on Iowa State, like how well they're playing how well girls shooting the ball which they were yeah which they, they were which they were and then in the second half it's just the polar opposite and i'm not even like saying it's like a comedy like comical like towards iowa state fans but like as comical for how basketball college basketball is because that game is like the most college basketball game ever because first off this year is crazy of so, all, well, we talked about this last week or two weeks before how i Texas texas tech had nothing to lose like this is the mm-hmm. ultimate trap game to play in they're playing a team that is you know on paper horrible this year and they literally have nothing to lose like you could see that in the press conference uh i think it was i can't remember what player it was but he was crying in the press conference uh talking about the game and stuff and no, how much they've been through and stuff like that like that that is the, the most when you're playing a desperate team like that that is so hard to win especially away
0: mm-hmm. yeah and they uh i mean the, the perfect example of of how that quickly that thing can flip i tweeted out 28 minutes into the game that tim and lipsy had eight points five rebounds four assists two steals and zero turnovers he finished the game with 11 points five rebounds four assists two steals and four turnovers in the last 10 minutes. Yeah. So basically played one of his worst stretches of the game immediately after I tweeted that. And I had so many people tweet. It's your fault. It's your fault that this happened. And I was like, yeah, you're right. It is my fault. This did not. You know well. why People were blaming you. Oh, I guarantee that if I went back and looked at the mentions of that oh tweet, every God. single one of them is someone saying, look what you did. You jinxed him.
1: I hate those type of people. I
0: hate them. I hate them. I just need to never acknowledge what anyone is doing until the game is over. That's, that's like, going to be my new thing.
1: Yeah, especially because I, I remember I saw that tweet in the first half.
0: And he was really? playing great ball. Like It was hard to not like, sit there and be like, man, the guy's playing great ball right it now. It
1: wasn't even like a take he really had. It was just you just, staying, just stating his stats like they're yeah. facts. But Lipsy looked really good in the first half. I don't know what – I'm going to be honest. I turned the game off. In the second half mm-hmm. and then i got back on twitter and i saw they were tied up and pushing overtime i'm like holy shit what happened so i don't know anything that happened from like the 18 minute mark to to overtime
0: yeah i mean i think if i was going to explain to you what happened the desperation element was obviously the biggest piece of it they really ramped up the pressure and really tried to force turnovers and iowa state's ball handlers did not do well with that Tayman looked like he got really rattled by trying to bring the ball up against that pressure and trying to get the ball to guys like holmes and kalsher and then they both had some poor mistakes that it's just like bad timing of, of those things and then i've just felt like they stopped trying to attack on offense they've got into a very passive mode of uh where texas tech was able to take it to them which is not when iowa state plays well you know they play well when they're taking it to to the other team and so you got into a spot where the other team basically completely like Texas tech basically completely stopped guarding Lipsy between half court and the three-point line. They've reached a point now. And I imagine this, we're going to see this more and more as this season continues on there, his defender literally just sinks into the middle of the paint. And they're like, if you want to stand out there and shoot it, or you want to stand out there and stand around with the ball, then we're going to give you 30 seconds to do it all night long, you know, and it just creates an extra help defender. So that's, that's the first part of it. That really, I think, threw him out of uh, out of out of what he was trying to do. Um, and then, two, they just did a good job of being able to switch screens and things like that. And they have guys that are really long and athletic that can that are versatile and can guard multiple positions. So that takes away some of the driving lanes for guys like Kalsher or Holmes. But they have to be better at when they get those switches. They have to do a better job of getting the ball to like Oshun on the block when he's got Davion Harmon, who's six inches shorter than him trying to guard him in the post. That's like, that's automatic. Get the ball to him. You know, that's how you open this thing back up is when you can get the ball to the big fella and start forcing them to bring more attention to him. And then you can kick the ball back out and it can work out that way. But that's where I felt felt like they panicked, you know, on the offensive end and they stopped doing the things that they needed to do to be successful. And then defensively, credit to Texas Tech. They spread the court. And they just challenged people and they said, we're going to drive by all night, you know, and they got a favorable whistle, not saying that it was nefarious by any means, but they definitely got a favorable whistle at home and you get, start getting downhill. You start shooting a bunch of free throws and all of a sudden the lead just disappears, you know? But I, I,
1: by any means, I'm not saying this is a game that's going to ruin their season. Obviously they hit a tough stretch. We talked about that last week of playing Missouri midway through a conference season like that was a trap game in itself and to play a Texas Tech team that is desperate like that is a really hard stretch right there um, but I think a game like this obviously it sucks from a fan base perspective to look at and be like damn we just lost to a team that hasn't won in, in big 12 conference plays it's gonna be a momentum killer we're gonna struggle after this I from My experiences playing the game of basketball, these games are, again, I don't don't like the term of wake-up call as well, as long as X-Factor guys. But it's almost like you have to step back into reality and be like, we're not as good as, and I'm not saying they're being cocky at Iowa State or being overconfident or anything like that it's a step back in and be like, okay, we still have a lot of work to do. We still have a lot of things we need to learn along this road to get to where we want to go. And games like this can be great learning points for teams. And I know, um, TJ is going to be, uh, why am I blanking on his first name? I always do that. I'm like, I've known this guy for a long fucking time. I know, as good as a guy and good as a coach he is, he's gonna get this team back on the right track because of a game like this. It can be a team that's not properly taught and properly coached. This this would ruin the season. But mm-hmm. Iowa State is a team that's proven they're really good. They've beaten really good teams. They have a really good record. You know, they're top fifteen in the country. Games like this is something that gets them back to that reality perspective, like I was just talking about, and makes them realize that we still have a lot of work to do, and we have to bring in every single possession, not every night, every single possession, to pull off a deep run in the NCAA tournament, what they did last year, and continue to try to play their best basketball. And I think, I honestly think this game will be a great eye opener for them.
0: Yeah, I think that's it. Was good that they got the four days after this, after that game, uh, before they have to play Kansas on Saturday. I imagine those will not be four fun days no of practice. No. Especially after the way those last ten minutes went where they really got out overpowered. You know. Those are those are the kind of days where you show up and it's like, all right, we're not putting we're not even putting the hoops down today. We're just going to work, you know. Everybody yeah. get ready to beat the shit out of each other. <laughs> that's totally. it. But though, that's what you need. Like if yeah. they would came out of Missouri, beat Missouri,
1: beat Texas Tech, those four days you're looking at a totally different scenario with that team, you know, and being, I, I remember having this happen. Uh, we were playing Minnesota on Christmas day during COVID and we got our ass kicked against Minnesota and we were we had like a, quite a bit of break and the next week sucked for practices. Like we were dreading to go to those practices because we knew we were just going to get killed. We we're going to run up and down the floor the entire time and we realized that we're just going to be downright tired you know these days coming ahead and and we realized after we got through that stretch like damn we really needed that man like we weren't all locked in at that point of the season we really needed that stretch to wake us up and be like we have a lot of games left ahead to really slack on any of that possession like not taking a possession off like i was just talking about with Iowa state so I don't I don't see this being a problem for I would say I really don't
0: No, I think they've just got some things they've got to sort through too and you know the hope now is that you get jazz Coons back for Saturday too against Kansas you know he's been out for a month and has been I mean that's good was one of their most consistent offensive weapons and one of the most consistent leaders for two years since as long as he's been in the program they've really missed him, you know? And I think even though they've played really well, you can tell where they need him and his ability to space the floor and some his decision-making ability uh, on the offensive end. And he's a smart defender as well, a guy who was your leading rebounder before he got hurt. So it's like, you need to get that guy back. And once you do, then you really start can understand what this team can shape into over the last month, you know? And I don't know that Caleb Grill is ever going to be 100% again the rest of the season with the way that that back injury can with those back injuries can linger but he proved he can still shoot the ball you know it's it'll probably be kind of on a night-to-night basis how good do you feel but like i i don't think that there's any reason to hit the panic button you know and the reality is too the winner of the big 12 is going to have five or six losses anyway so it's just you gotta be able to handle your business now
1: Right, and you, mean, you even look at Iowa State's schedule. They maybe they won a couple games on the Big Twelve conference play already that they maybe they weren't favored in, or they t- honestly they maybe they didn't even expect to win. So, at the end of the day, it kind of all evens out based off you know how how you attack your season and how you attack each day. At the end of this conference play, it's always going to shake out what you deserve to be at. And obviously, Iowa State didn't deserve to win that game. Just being blunt, but they're, they're going to deserve whatever whatever ranking they get at the end of the season, whatever seed they get at the end of the season, and whatever seed they get in you know the, the Big 12 tournament and the NCAA tournament.
0: It's an interesting conversation because I had a bunch of people that texted me after that game Monday night, and they're like, this is my first time watching Iowa State. I thought this was supposed to be a good team. And yeah. I was like, man, that's that's like the shitty thing about college basketball is people don't pay attention for so much of the season that it's like you could be a really – really freaking good team for 30 nights out of the year but if you have one night that someone just happens to turn you on and you're a bad team then people start to think you're a bad team you know mm-hmm. that's i i state has got a good team i i don't have any question about that just like i think i has got a good team too like i think both these teams have have chances to do a lot of special things but just got things to figure out you know kinks to work through because it's a obviously a really long season um all right we got a couple other college basketball things that uh that we did want to get to uh jim Beheim, who is a friend of the podcast long time friend of the podcast jim Bayheim. uh they had a tough one the other night actually right before that iowa state game Uh, tough loss to virginia at home they led for most of the game they were out without one of their best players benny williams uh who who didn't play in the game the first question that jim Beheim was asked in his press conference was about where benny williams was which frankly when you lose the game a a tight game and you're missing one of your best players and no one has said where's one of the best players at a fair question would be to say hey coach where's one of the best players at jim Beheim seemed to disagree uh and t- uh, criticized a what i believe was a student reporter's attitude and uh asked is that really the most important question and i i if that can can jim Beheim just be less of a curmudgeon asshole that would be a good start i think for me for us rebuilding our relationship with jim Beheim here on the podcast
1: or maybe just being a decent human being i really don't it wasn't even that bizarre of a question i know i I texted you this after you sent me the clip and i watched it i go if that were me i would be on my best behavior if i killed someone i don't know I really don't think his attitude is needed for, because it happened earlier in the year too as well. And obviously that wasn't the same situation. I don't even know. It might've even been the same person. Maybe it was, I don't know, but you got to do your job, man. And they're doing their job asking questions. Obviously you are in the front seat of that. You realize you asking questions of the guys at their worst times and asking questions at their best times, but that's your job his job is to answer the questions and maybe do it a little more respectfully. I just, like he he could have went about that. Like if yes. he didn't want to answer the question, you could have went about that a lot more respectful way.
0: Well, even if he didn't want to, well, he did answer the question. You know, yeah. he said he said Benny Williams took a, a personal day and he would be back with the team on Wednesday, which is today. So I assume that he's back with the team and it won't even be any sort of an issue any, anymore. The thing I would say is if you don't like the question, The best time to voice that, especially with someone who's a college kid that's like just getting started. If you're Jim Beheim and you really want to do things the right way, you would say, you'd pull that guy aside and in a respectful manner, you would say, hey, I didn't like the way you asked your question. Here's what I would say, maybe you could do better. As a professional, someone who's been around this business for a long time, someone who's been around people who have done this job at a high level, this would be my advice to you to, ask better, more insightful questions. I think that's a fair criticism. The kid doesn't have to necessarily agree with it. I don't know that I would necessarily agree with that approach of things. I'd be kind of like, I don't tell you how to do your job. You don't tell me how to do mine either. But uh, I think it's one of those things where when you're gonna make it a public thing and you're gonna like go out of your way to embarrass people, I think that that's problematic.
1: I think anytime you treat someone with anytime you act as you're superior towards someone, I think is when trouble arises. And I'm not saying his job is more important or his job is less, but I mean, let's be honest. Jim Boeheim is the star of the show. He's the coach Mm -hmm. at Syracuse. They're asking him the questions. Like he's, his job is pretty important, but I don't see any reason to ever stoop, to that level of acting as if you're more important than you think you are or more important than a person doing their job. I just see – it's just disrespectful, man. And I, I don't have any I, – I don't see there's any reason for that ever happening. I mean, maybe if it was handled a different way and it was more of a controversy, but this was flat-out disrespectful. There was no argument, on he, I, I think, on his side of –
0: this is a normal question. Like yeah, it's just it was a, a normal perfe- question, perfectly normal question. Yeah, and I think, I think there's some coaches who are having a very hard time adjusting to the fact that college basketball is no longer all about them. College basketball for a really long time was all mm. about the coaches. It was all the programs were the coaches, and if you had a good coach, then you had a good program. And the and the show is going to be John Thompson versus Jim Beheim. It's going to be Mike Krzyzewski versus Roy Williams. It's going to be Tom Izzo versus, uh, versus Bob Knight or whoever, you know, whatever, you know, scenario you want to roll out there. It's not that way anymore. And it's shifting quickly. The coaches that are going to have success in college basketball moving forward are the ones that are going to realize that this sport's about the players and not about the coaches anymore. And it's exactly. not about your ability to, to, to draw people to watch because you are the show you know and Jim Bayheim needs to figure out real quick cuz his team ain't very good. I think he needs to figure out real quick that if you don't make a significant shift, Jim Bayheim's not going to be the coach at Syracuse very much longer as long as uh if Syracuse wants to get serious about winning basketball games again cuz yeah. right now I think it the way that they conduct their business, I think it would be hard to really sit here and think that Syracuse is serious about winning basketball games.
1: Yeah, and that's what it comes down to, conducting your business. You can't you can't be a player and look at type that type of stuff and be like what are we doing man? Like what are, what kind of operation are we running here? Do you want to go and play for that type of coach? Like let's say you're a freshman coming in Syracuse and you see that and you don't have prior experience, like working with coach Beheim for a couple of years and understanding who he is. And you see that, you know, he, again, he has a lot of bright moments as a coach. He might have a lot of bright moments in press conferences, might have a lot of bright moments with people around him that, that he has done a lot of great things in the community for, but, like I said anytime you have a poor interaction like that and it's happened on numerous occasions this year I think it's damaging for your business operation how you're conducting it and it ruins it ruins your trajectory as a team I really think so
0: Yeah just it it's really easy to understand how in today's age when uh kids can transfer and things like that as much as they want like I wouldn't want to stay and play for Jim Bayheim with some of the other coaches that you see that are out there that are going to do more to like, make it a player driven program and not make it all about them. Yeah. Like why would you want to play for that guy? You yeah. know, like Coach K was a great basketball coach. Coach K was really good about making things about Coach K. And that would have driven is. me crazy. I think it drove a lot of, I would imagine it drives a lot of people crazy that were ever around Duke basketball. But I, I think, it, and that's just, yeah.
1: I do. This Coach K remind me of uh, when you brought this up, Roy Williams. I don't want to give him a giant hog, dude. I am so impressed with this man. I've met him once when Marcus Page was getting recruited and I was at open gym as a little, little kid. And he was a very nice man when I interacted with him, but man, how cool is it? Like him and his wife being at those games, man. And like, there's videos of them dancing when they're doing this, this surfing for UNC crowd, dude, that is so special. Like his support for that program, that for that university and he's not doing it for himself. Like he doesn't have to be at those games. They're not giving him standing ovations when he, he's not getting recognized every single game. That is, that's really special. And I, and I applaud him so much and his wife for doing that and being so supportive of the new coach and new program and their new team. That that creates lasting memories, and I, I can see why a lot of his players are—he's so loved by a lot of his former and current players.
0: It has become blatantly clear how much Roy Williams just loves college basketball. Because as much as yeah, as much as he supports North Carolina. He's also going to games at kansas Mm. he's been to games that i think he's been to a game at west virginia to support bob huggins like he's just out like seeing his friends you know and doing what retired people do like he's just out he's got money he's got his retirement he's got time he's like man i can go watch every college basketball team that i want to i can see all my friends and like go to all kinds of different games and all kinds of different arenas because i still love college basketball and like i love the game and i i have an immense appreciation for that because it's just like who wouldn't want to just be an old head who can go like Roy Williams could walk up to any college basketball arena in the country and be like, I'm coming to the game tonight. And they're like, bet you're in, you mm-hmm. know? And that's just like that. That would be really fun to be able to live that life. You know?
1: Yeah. I wish, I wish I would have known him more when Marcus Bader was getting recruited because I was, I was so scared. Cause my brother played with Marcus on in high school. So he was always kind of around during the summers and watching Marcus and they're on the same AU team, so he was always watching them. I don't know, man. I, I I just think it it shows that little little details like that. It shows why he was so successful and all the respect he had he has had in the past and currently has.
0: Uh, all right, another one in uh, in the world of college basketball. This it, apparently the main proponent behind uh, behind a new movement to uh, shrink the shot clock again from 30 seconds to 24, uh, which would bring it in line with the NBA and basically all, basically every level of basketball before, besides everything in America, bes- uh, before the NBA, uh, would go to the 24 second shot clock. Jimmy Dixon is a big proponent of this. Obviously the head coach at TCU, longtime college basketball coach, uh, said that he thinks it's coming. He's been pushing for it for many years. Uh, and that he he really got into that in uh, as he was coaching one of the I think the U19 team the, TS, the the USA U19 team uh what at first glance what would you think of the of college basketball going to the 24 second shot clock
1: I love it man I it's funny we bring this up because you just sent me this this morning I was I was seriously thinking about this with my we were talking I was on a FaceTime with some of my friends last night while we were watching the Iowa game and we we're just like obviously Iowa plays really up tempo but watching like college basketball now that i've been on the next level it is so like slow and methodical and it seems like there's really no there's flow to games but it doesn't feel like basketball now that i've experienced this next level and i don't want i don't want college basketball ever turned directly into nba like pace wise but I just think that the shot clock, it's so, that is so, such a long amount of time for each possession. And you look at end of games, obviously there's outliers where there's 15 point, you know, deficits, they come back in the next last five minutes. But if you're down 15, like NBA level with five minutes left, that's literally nothing Mm because how fast the game is and how, you know, up up tempo it gets. But I, I think it'd be great for basketball. I think it'd create better basketball and less stalling and less. I don't know it's just a lot of that's a lot of time for each possession a lot of time
0: yeah i think my only and i wouldn't even say like i could be convinced either way you know i don't think i have an opinion either way but i I think my only concerns would be one i don't want to see college basketball and we've talked about this before develop the nba or to start having the nba style of play that everything is so based on isolations and just like basic picking roles and things like that you know and obviously nba teams still do more than that but i'm just saying the basis of the game being less uh stylistically different you know where like every school is doing something different everybody has their own identity of what they're doing and it's it becomes more like cookie cutter you know that would be my fear of, of that i don't want to see something like that happen and then two when you play half as many games as you do in the nba how can teams utilize pressure uh, press defenses how can they utilize those kinds of things what could be negative impacts of those because they don't have to play 80 games plus 16 or whatever playoff games and you can you have more in the tank to be able to burn off more of that shot clock by putting more pressure on people uh, defensively so like like i said i could be convinced either way and i'm sure that those are both things that could be worked through that would that there's someone out there that'd be like oh no that's not how it's going to be but that those would be the two things that I would point out that it's like, those would be things I think would be negative impacts on college basketball as a whole for just the healthiness of the, of the sport.
1: Yeah. Those are all great points. The thing that we have to look at when we make rules changes in NCA, which NCA is horrible at doing this, but what's the best for the kids Mm -hmm. in their future and if the best for their kid, if they actually are trying to have the college level be a stepping stone for professional sports, then they need to make it as close to a professional sport as possible. Not saying they need to make it exactly like it, but they need to have it be a stepping stone. And realistically it hasn't been great for it being a stepping stone for college athletes to go to the pros. And I see this rule change of a 24 second shot clock change being a great stepping stone for college basketball players to Tr- to transition their game from college to professional instead of having their first year professional being a big transition point. And, you know, I've experienced it. I've experienced going to high school with no shot clock to college with a shot clock. It's a big transition. It changes the whole game of basketball. And then I've had the ex- transition of going from college basketball to the pro level, another big transition. It totally, it's a totally different game. I, I People, if they want to argue with that, that's their opinion, but with my experiences, it t- it takes a lot, a big transition from goal, from college to professional and truly understanding the game of basketball. You have to be pretty, pretty quick with your mind to really going for, you know, I played for six years, but some guys that play for two to four years in college, it's going to take a while for them to translate to professional basketball. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know how much high school basketball you've watched this year, but the addition of the shot clock in iowa high school basketball has been a very welcome addition and i know that there are people out there who are going to say i already know what the caveat is with the people that that want to knock the shot clock what they say well it makes shitty basketball shittier because then they have to shoot more and that's not true because it it forces people to play the game that's what it does it makes you have to play the game and it is if your team is bad your team was going to be bad regardless of whether or not there's a shot clock. It don't matter. But if your team is good, it might elevate your team and make it even better. And it's training the guys that are on those good teams to have to play the game a certain way that is going to help them adjust to play at the next level. I thought that that was one of the smartest things that we've done, you know, in our state in quite some time was to do that. That was just, I guarantee you're going to see more kids who start to be able to play at a college level because they're more used to this. Like, college coach coaches are going to look at across the country and see not everywhere's got this. And they're going to be like, man, these kids and I were going to be prepared to play with a shot clock. Like they're going to know what you need to do to run your sets and to run your actions, to be able to get a shot in 35 seconds, you know, and obviously you're going to cut five more seconds out of that, but it's like, you were in that mindset already, you know, there's no, you know, like when we were in high school in the sub state final game, my senior year, we ran a minute and a 15 seconds off the clock and took the last shot of the game. It, 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 we didn't make the shot. It went to overtime, but it was like, we called a timeout, sat in the timeout, said, do we want to take the last shot? Looked at the clock. There's a minute and a half on the clock. And we ran the clock all the way down. And it's like, in, in the moment, you know, like I'm not sitting there thinking like, oh, we're manipulating the game. You know, it's like, you're trying to do what you got to do to win the game. And we had the guys on our team that could pass the ball and take care of the ball that it like, it was conceivable to be like, we'll just run a minute and a half off the clock, you know? But in hindsight, you sit there and you're like, man, I don't know if that was the best thing for me to be able to learn how to play the game to run two minutes of offense, you know, and I'm glad that now, you know, again, I would not trade my high school experience for anything. We went to the state tournament, all that stuff. So it's like, I'm not knocking that I'm not knocking my coach. It's just like for the perspective of knowing my experiences, knowing a lot of people's experiences in Iowa high school basketball, that will elevate Iowa high school basketball considerably uh, moving forward.
1: Yeah, it goes down you mentioned it too that it's just the best it's the best thing for the kids. If they wanna if they truly wanna take their game to the next level, they have to transition to doing stuff like that. And it, it it does create better basketball. I don't I don't even think I don't even understand an argument against how it would not. Like worse shots, okay, you're gonna get worse shots no matter what, guys are gonna come down and shoot without a shot clock like Mm -hmm. is it is it is it going to be a bad shot when there's no shot clock should you just hold for the last second shot each quarter then get the best shot is that
0: if you had 24 seconds like that would put a significant onus i think in recruiting on people you got to have somebody who can go and create a shot for themselves yeah if it gets to six seconds on the shot clock and it's like jamie dixon it doesn't shock me at all that jamie dixon is one of the biggest guys behind this jamie dixon's teams always have that they've always He's got guys that can just break people down and drive. And you know that if they played that style of basketball, everybody had to play that style of basketball. Jamie Dixon Jamie Dixon's teams would be really good, you know, because mm-hmm. yeah. that's just the kind of guys that he's always got. So, but it's like, you look at what Iowa state's doing, you know, like Iowa state wouldn't succeed in a style of play like that with, as their roster is currently constructed because they just don't have anybody that's like that kind of player that you need at the end of the shot clock to go and do that for you. You know,
1: yeah. I, I hope I would imagine within the next five years, they actually do enforce. I think next year, next year is an emphasis rule. I think the year after that's a rule change year for college. They'll
0: do it like in the experimental in the NIT or something next year. That would be my guess.
1: Yeah. I bet within the next couple of years, we see the NIT and honestly, dude, within the next four years, I would imagine, I bet, I bet it does change because we need to
0: go to quarters too. That's the other thing like that needs to be. Yeah. It's, well that's just the, the most only sense. level of basketball that's not playing on yeah. a quarter system yes
1: yes i think that's the most sense it's more flow to the game like you look at there's a stoppage every four minutes in college basketball man that is that sucks. like it sucks to watch like it sucked playing so mm-hmm. now that i've experienced on the outside i'm like bro you can't even watch a basketball game like without getting so much stoppage to play
0: it's crazy to go, I was at a high school game like two weeks ago, and it's crazy how fast those games mm-hmm. go by when you eliminate those things. It, the game took like an hour, yeah. you know? You're in and out. And yeah. you're like, man, now what do I do? Like, <laughs> this, it would be halftime of a college <laughs> game. Not even. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was, uh, I, I think that's de- definitely a good conversation for people to have uh, moving forward. All right, the last thing that I did want to bring up to you, or we have two more things, I guess, man. It's going to be a long one. Uh, John John Higgins. Uh, We talked about the officiating before, but John Higgins is on a uh, on a run right now um, across the college basketball landscape. I looked it up. He's done 22 games in 31 days, traveling all across the country from Stillwater, Oklahoma, to Palo Alto, California, to Corvallis, Oregon, to Piscataway, New Jersey, to Philadelphia. I think the only place he hasn't been is in the southeast. Apparently, he doesn't have a deal with the Southeastern Conference because they don't have him. They don't have him calling any games, but he has been all over the place. And so I looked it up, you know, we were talking about this before. We looked up the top five, how many games those guys did in January. John Higgins did 22. I think Keith Kimball did 25. Kip Kissinger did 26. Like every single one of them was taking five, six, seven days off in the entire month. And we wonder why the officiating fails in college basketball sometimes. Maybe it's because the top guys have done a game every single day for a month, you know, and have been traveling all across the country. Like, I bet John Higgins. John Higgins' frequent flyer miles has to be maxed out at this point. Like, he can't, you know, uh, chase card. They're like, no, man. No. We yeah, don't accept anymore. <laughs> You're done. <laughs> You're done. You got to use something else, man. You're done. You can't do this. He's cut like his, off. You know, imagine the Marriott points that John, H- wow. John Higgins has. I mean, it's incredible. I think –
1: I'm going to say something serious before we, we, I make a joke. Uh, I think I, – I don't know exactly how the process works on – obviously, we were talking about before the show, they're independent contractors, and they contract their work through these conferences. I'm curious to see how the process is when these conferences are looking at these games and they have a guy like Higgins, right? They're not I, – I would be guaranteed – betting I don't know I don't actually I don't know if they know this or not but I would bet they probably don't know their schedule what they're working beforehand when they contract their work so they're hiring these guys and they have, might have an option between this guy that's may, maybe working seven games in a 15 to 20 day period and this guy that's working 12 days in a 15 day period but they don't know that and they realize oh Higgins will, well he's a better official on paper because he's he's reffing more games this last year I feel like it just gets stacked up every single year where these better officials on paper because they're reffing bigger games keep getting more games because of that. And said these guys that are refing lesser amount of games aren't getting the same amount of work. So I, 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 I want to understand how the process works on how exactly they go about on scheduling these games, because I'd be willing to bet it kind of happens in that similar way. Here,
0: here's what i would say about john higgins i'm looking at this schedule right now he's gonna get he gets a lot of the big games like he gets yeah. some of the biggest games in college basketball he had tuesday night's kansas kansas state game in allen Fieldhouse. he had texas and baylor on monday had purdue michigan state on sunday those are three really big games uh in in the midwest three that you want your absolute best at. but here's where i have a problem saturday night he did stanford versus cal oh, that's just a money grab for what for what? We don't got anybody else that can go to Palo Alto and do Stanford versus Cal? Like, right. get the hell out of here. He did Utah versus Oregon State. Like, these are those were four teams, only one of them is even in the top 50 on Kenpon. So, like, what the fuck? What's the point of the number four official in college basketball being out there to do a game with two top 100 teams? Why is John Higgins officiating San Diego State versus Utah State? you know why is he doing uh i'm trying to see other one gonzaga okay gonzaga byu i kind of get that one uh wednesday january 11th john higgins was one of the officials for utah valley versus cal baptist why saturday december 31st umkc versus nebraska omaha he is from omaha so i can kind of understand that one and it's like that's just right down the road but it's like uh those are the things that why not just take why why are we got john higgins flying to Utah Valley to do a game on a random Wednesday night in the middle of the big 12 season,
1: you know, which is exactly why I think they, they see these, he probably, he contracts his work, right. And be like, he wants to ref these games. They're not going to say no to him because he's one of the best. He's one of the best. Yeah. Instead they have a guy that is probably a really great official, but he can't get the same amount of work because Higgins is asking to ref all these games. Oh my God.
0: I just pulled up Keith (laughs) Kimball's. Monday night, Keith Kimball was on was the official for Alcorn State versus Grambling State. And Keith Kimball is one of the best, in my opinion. He is right. number one. He is the number one official on Ken Palm.
1: <laughs> yeah, but Ken Palm is that that doesn't matter because that just rates the games he kind of, he refs, not what the calls he makes.
0: Well, apparently, it's not being dragged down by the fact that he's he also did uh, Prairie View A and M versus Grambling State. I wonder if he's like from like you must live down there or something like that he did florida versus south carolina uh southern versus bethune cookman sandwiched in between doing kansas oklahoma and alabama arkansas like what like what the hell who else is here doug sermons doug sermons is he doesn't do a bunch of weird games yeah it just is it the process is flawed there's 200 officials listed on here i refuse to believe that we could not allocate the work better to where john higgins does not have to go and do utah valley games and where keith kimball does not have to do numerous grambling state or prairie view a&m games in one season you know there has to be a better way there has to be there has to be all right uh last thing that i wanted to, to toss out to you i saw this story this morning on espn uh, this is fr- actually from the Associated Press, I suppose. The headline is Spectator Dies After Melee at Vermont Middle School Hoops Game. Uh, the the lead says a brawl broke out among spectators at a middle school <laughs> basketball game in northern Vermont and a 60-year-old man who participated in the fight has died, police said. State troopers were called to Allberg Community Education Center just before 7 p.m. Tuesday after a report of a large fight involving spectators during a 7th and 8th grade boys basketball game between Allberg and St. Albans. The fight ended before troopers arrived and many of the participants had left. Uh, this, this gentleman had sought medical attention. He was taken the, by the ambulance to uh, to a hospital in Vermont and where he was pronounced dead, which, you know, prayers up to him and his family. That's a, that's a horrible deal. Why are we fighting at the 7th and 8th grade basketball game in Vermont?
1: Everything that's wrong, what's wrong in the world. Literally and that that article is everything that what's wrong in society today. We are out of control. Yeah. We are out of fucking control. And that's not even that's not even like a comical like point I'm taking. Like we are taking literally little kid sports so serious we're having guys dying. And that's not the first time. Like we've seen shootings happen at middle school games, like high school basketball games. Fights break out within parents, parents bitching about officials, parents on the court, punching refs. Like we've seen that in the last couple months. I don't, I don't know, dude. I, I think we, we've talked about this before. I'm, I'm scared where society's headed. I really am. If this is what we're doing a sport growing up, man. Like what was sports? It was like a sanctuary for us to free our minds yeah. and be with your friends. Yeah. yeah. Meet friends diverse our friend group like all that stuff meet new people from different backgrounds like it didn't matter if you're black or white asian hispanic whatever race you were it didn't matter as long as you're playing basketball together or baseball you're on the same field you're going for the same common goal that's not a thing anymore like it is so serious and mishandled nowadays i don't i'm, I'm afraid what's going to happen in the next 10 years if if this is where we're
0: headed so to put how ridiculous this, I mean, if 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 just that story was not ridiculous enough, to put the ridiculousness this of this into some context, I was wondering. Okay, I was like, maybe basketball is really intense in the state of Vermont. I suppose I don't know enough about the basketball culture in Vermont. Obviously, the Catamounts, good program. They've uh, you know won a bunch of American East Conference titles. They're basically a mainstay on that Saturday of of, uh, of championship week, playing every morning. There has never been a player from the state of Vermont who has played a minute in the NBA, never. So what the fuck are we taking it so serious that we're fighting each other when y'all can't even produce a single player in the first 75 years of the NBA that can play for one minute in one game? Vermont basketball ain't, like I, I know that people take it serious and all those things, but man, like it ain't worth dying for your kid's probably not going to the NBA. The law of averages would would strongly, strongly lead to the fact that your kid is not going to the NBA, you know? So it ain't worth that.
1: And it was a town of like 2,300 people too that it (laughs) happened in, which is even more crazy.
0: Do you think that, do you think that these schools were really built off the back of big big syrup?
1: Ooh, like, like syrup money? Mm
0: Mm-hmm. There could be some serious, like bad blood, some syrup bad blood going on in Vermont. Maybe that fellow, you know, like people
1: stealing seeped like, into
0: the basketball game a little bit, you know.
1: Seeped in. That's a great. That's a great pun. Uh, like people stole their syrup
0: farms back in
1: the eighteen hundreds.
0: Yeah, we've got like a Hatfield versus Hatfield versus the McCoys situation in oh, Vermont shit. with the syrups. That's and honestly what. Maybe just, that's what the fight yeah. was. That's what I'm saying. Like maybe this one guy, he sat there. He said, Hey, my syrup's better than your syrup, bitch. And then all hell broke loose.
1: I, I, I'm a great, I'm a, I'm a big syrup connoisseur. So I'm very interested in this rabbit (laughs) hole. We're going down. I could
0: talk Uh, about this for hours. Oh, I know. We, well, we talked about it for 10 minutes last week when we found out that Vermont was not one of the original 13 (laughs) colonies but apparently it is the first place I've ever heard of a 60 year old man dying in a middle school basketball game because there was a, f- a massive brawl in the stands. So it sucks that we like,
1: I don't know. I can't even word this without sounding like an asshole, but like, like we're, I feel like we're at a point where we're just made like stories like this. We just make fun of because how crazy it is. And it happens every day.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Like the same people sit there and they're like, man, this shit's so off the rails, you know? <laughs> and we just like, no one, worse. Like, so some of these things, we're like, we're too far gone. Like what can be done, you know? Like what's gonna get those people to all of a sudden understand that their actions were unacceptable. It's not gonna happen, you know? Um, those people are too far gone. And that's, that we got way too many people in this country who are way too far gone that have, who are too stupid to have the in, the ability to self reflect and understand the ramifications of their actions. Like, there's way too many people out here.
1: Is America too drunk or just too stupid right now?
0: I think that there's a strong case to be made for both. Probably.
1: What if we just ban alcohol? You think society gets better? I think we tried that one. It didn't work. We no, we, that did. Yeah. We, did, we did. Yeah, about hundred years ago, we did try that
0: one. Yeah. Wow. If anything, I think it made it worse. Actually. You because know it, it really gave big boost to
1: organized crime you know what's crazy to me like i remember being in italy you just walk around with a bottle of wine in your hand and drink it mm-hmm. you do that in america you're getting
0: unless you're in las vegas true las vegas. or on beale street in memphis I, I mean there's a lot of other places but isn't it funny though like how
1: you think about like tailgating right and it's so like frowned upon let's say you're going to a bar on a normal night and you go downtown you have a beer in your hand you're walking downtown people are like yo what the fuck are you doing yeah but the minute like tailgating hits you can you do that with like at a nauseam like non-stop dude and no one that's mm-hmm. an eye like, you walk around by a cob say what's up cheers 12 hours later if you do that i mean i
0: i yeah i don't know like we just people like to get together and drink
1: uh, I think it's a crazy, like, I don't know. Maybe I'm just,
0: I think the stupidity, pretty... this is one of those situations, the stupidity probably, you know, it, the problem with tailgating is people, not only did they drink, they get drunk and stupid and then start to do the stupid things. You know, it's about the doing the stupid things. If you can get drunk and not do stupid things then you can be, Hey, f- do your thing, you know? But the second, when you start doing destructive things, that's when it becomes a problem.
1: Yeah, you know. we should just stick with fun, stupid things. We don't have to do the crazy, stupid things. The fun, stupid things is is
0: awesome. But yeah, not getting in fights at the middle school basketball game. Not awesome. Yeah. Not awesome. All right, everybody. We'll talk to you guys again next week. Again, uh, check out the the big game circus sports uh, package right now. The the big game house party on iowaeverywhere.com. dot com. All the information to sign up there is right at the top of the homepage. On the website, and we'll talk to you guys again soon. Peace. Iowa everywhere.